I am delighted this morning to introduce our speaker, Ian Trigg. I've known who he was for years, decades, watched what he was doing, but in the last two years he has become my friend and our district superintendent. So he's my boss. Now, don't get too impressed about that because Naomi's husband is his boss. Right? <laughs> uh, Ian is a lovely person, a pastoral presence in our district. I love his teaching, and I'm sure you're going to be blessed by what he has to say today. Take mercy on him. He not only has just come back from Indonesia, getting back after multiple layovers and so on, but then he got stuck this morning on the 403 or the 407, I'm not sure. So he, uh, and he doesn't drink coffee, so I don't know how he's going to survive. Um, but uh, Ian, come and talk to us, and God bless you as you do. And then they expect me to know how to use technology, which is no small challenge. Thanks, my friend. You know, there's been a lot of great delights uh, coming to Ontario. I came from uh, out west. Um, I spent 20 years in BC and 20 years in Calgary. And uh, all my family has roots in the east. So I've got 12 cousins and 11 of them live in Ontario, Quebec, and even into the Maritimes. So in some ways, coming here was sort of rediscovering some of the roots of my family and uh, one of the greatest things that I did I never met my grandfather and I only met my grandmother a couple times but it was in Quebec uh, and uh, called my dad who is yeah that's gonna be super helpful thank you called my father who's turned 90 at Christmas and uh, it's no small miracle he's still alive and and uh, I said dad where are your parents buried because I was in St. Anne Bellevue if you know St. Anne's at all in the West Island of Montreal, and he said, well, they're actually in Point Claire. So we went to Point Claire, and there's probably 40,000 people buried in the cemetery. And by the grace of God, my wife found my grandparents' burial spot. I'd never seen it. Um, and there was something just powerful and profound about connecting with our roots. And so that's been one of the really shocking blessings of coming to Ontario, is how much I have enjoyed um, the chance to uh, connect a little bit with family and and the like and and uh, and even in that kind of way. Not, I had no idea I was going to say that this morning, but it's been great. I have loved Ontario, except this morning on the 407, as I followed seven snowplows that we're all doing 30 kilometers an hour for the entire length of the road. <laughs> Thank you for your grace, Ian. And Ian Campbell actually is my boss. Um, because he chairs our district executive committee. It's kind of like the elders board uh, of your church. Uh, and Ian has been a remarkable, uh, wise and kind and good man. And um, my, only, my only struggle with Ian is why it's taken this long for him to invite me to Southside. Because in a matter of about 15 minutes, I fell in love with your church. Um, by far the coolest uh, church facility I've ever been in. Um, but far more than a facility. Um, being here just in a matter of minutes makes me realize that Jesus is here. And uh, I'm pretty sure in my job description that I'm supposed to like the pastors of our district, but it's really, really, really easy to like your pastors. And uh, Ian and Andrew um, have become not just guys that serve in our, one of our churches, but they have become godly influences in my own life. And, uh, and I'm just really, really grateful um, for them. And to be here this morning, 
Um, is it John that just prayed? Not sure who. I'd come to church just to listen to you pray, uh, sir. That was uh, from the heart, and, and it, it was relevant, and it was honest, and it was vulnerable. And uh, thank you for that and, and uh, for the worship this morning. Um, getting to know Resoul just a little bit. Um, love the shameless plug, Mike. Well done. Um, and just quickly looked at your website, and I want to know more about that as well. So I really love what's happening here at Southside. And on a morning where there's a lot of reasons to stay home, uh, you found your way here. And uh, so bless you for your faithfulness and, and your courage. And uh, thank you for this church and what you mean to our district and our larger Alliance family and what you mean to Milton and um, what you mean to the kingdom of God. So it really is a privilege to be able to be here today. And that, as, as Ian shared, um, I've been on a journey. I, I was two weeks in Indonesia. I got to speak to our international workers there. Um, thank, give to missions. Pray for our RIWs. Um, they're amazing, amazing women and men. And we got to serve their families. We took a team of youth leaders, uh, children's leaders, actually, to work with the children. You try to imagine some of these kids in really, um, they call them creative access nations, where y- you... You can't just go in there and say, hey, I love Jesus. You should get to know him too because you get kicked out of the country in a heartbeat. And some of our IW families, they, uh, Sunday morning, they gather, uh, they close the curtains around their homes and they play worship music really quietly and they sing really quietly. And mom or dad might read a Bible story to the children and they would pray. And that is their experience of church. Nothing like walking, you know, dozens of kids that flew upstairs here a few moments ago. And, and we got to provide them with, like, the coolest DVBS experience ever, um, letting these kids get into, be together with friends and, and, and just to realize how amazing Jesus is and how much he loves them. And it was just a remarkable privilege um, uh, to be there. And if I could just say this, this is sort of my shameless plug uh, thank you for caring for the Herbolds so well. Um, they routinely tell me how much they love living in Milton, and a large part of that is because you have welcomed them so deeply. And I remember meeting Andrew saying, Andrew, I think the president's coming to your church. Um, <laughs> don't, don't let that intimidate you one bit because that's not who he is and that's not what he's about. But, um, you know, we just talked about how to care for their family, and you guys have done that beautifully. So thank you for that. And... Uh, Darren and Naomi and their kids are, it's a remarkable family, and uh, just really grateful for them, and grateful for how you have welcomed them uh, into your midst and given them a safe place to uh, believe and belong and become all that God wants them to be, so really, really grateful for that. So I am exhausted today. People often fall asleep when I preach. I'm afraid I'm going to fall asleep this morning when I preach, so if you could uh, say a prayer for me and and uh, we'll see, we'll jump into a, into a text. It was, uh, we were gone for 14 and a half days. And we had issues on the way there, and we had issues on the way home. And so um, it, we spent four and a half days traveling of those 14, so it's a really long ways to go, but it was such a blessing to be there. But uh, we took a route home, I don't know when we left, sometime Friday, I think, to get here yesterday, where we went from Denpasar in Bali. And I realized all the places I'm naming right now are places you wish you could be, so... I, <laughs> These are first world problems as I talk about it, but we went from Denpasar uh, to Singapore, which you should go to Singapore just to walk through the airport because it is the coolest airport in the history of airports. We um, had eight or ten hours there, and then we were supposed to fly direct to San Francisco and then direct to Toronto, which you know seems logical, but instead, with all the problems of airlines these days, we flew from 
Singapore to Honolulu, which, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world to get have a layover in Honolulu, except when you're in the airport and can't leave it, and it's night. And then we had four hours there, and then we flew from Honolulu to San Francisco, another four hours there, and then we flew to Denver, <laughs> and eventually we got here. But anyways, it was a journey. So, yeah, <laughs> pray that this will somehow make sense today. And that. Um, here's my premise. Um, we live in a complicated world. My wife and I decided, I became a news junkie during COVID, and I uh, was heartbroken when Lisa LaFlemme uh, left CTV because uh, uh, I, you know, would spend half an hour with Lisa every, you know, evening, my wife and I. We were together. It wasn't weird. <laughs> don't, don't, don't go there, but anyways, uh, watching the news last night, I think it was Friday night's news that we got. We don't have cable, so it's kind of a weird scenario. We'd, and hearing about all the things that are going on in the time that we've been gone. We live, in a, we live in an incredibly complicated world. We prayed today for the conflict in Ukraine that continues to see lives lost daily, um, seemingly needlessly in every definition of the word from our perspective. Uh, seeing what happened in Memphis, um, another incredibly horrific act of violence, and somehow they seem to feel we need to see it. Um, seeing so many other things, the financial crisis, interest rates, the challenges of rental properties. I mean, what young adult doesn't wonder if they're ever going to be able to leave home? How in the world are you going to buy a house if you live in southern Ontario? You know, I, I can't fathom how that unfolds uh, for so many people. Um, there's just so many things that are taking place in the world in which we live today. And that, another s attack uh, in Israel, seven people killed outside of a place of worship. Um, there's just so much that's going on. But, but let's be honest, it's not just the news that makes the broadcast. We see it all around us. And we see struggle, we see difficulty, and we see brokenness. Why are we having a, a coldest night of the year? Because there are vulnerable people who desperately need to be loved and cared for and valued and, and served and, and, and reached with the hope of Christ. Um, but we see it in our own homes. We see it in our own lives. And, and we see angst. And then stuff like that happens. And it's just, it's just, that was a description of what life can so easily become uh, for us all. And we live in a world where there are so many voices demanding our allegiance, our loyalty, our attention. But there's only one voice that promises and delivers uh, hope. Thank you. I got a crazy voice that's hard to hear, so if this will work better for you. Thank you for that, Ian. Um, there's just a complexity to life that all of us feel, and not to be depressing or to create it. Um, there's so many voices that want our attention, but there's one voice that offers us hope, and there's one that offers us peace, and there's one that offers us love. And there's one that extends grace at every turn. And there's one voice that uh, offers us a way through this life that's ours. So I want to talk about that. And really, I, I want to go to a passage, and I'm precious um, in Ontario, but this just was one as I prayed and thought what I might be able to do um, by being here today. And I had no idea when I did it that I was, I'm about to preach your mission statement as a church. So uh, you've probably heard this a few times before. But um, it's a text from Mark chapter 1, and it's really just a day in the life of Jesus. 
And uh, your mission statement essentially talks about in order to do the things that Jesus did, because who doesn't want to do the things that Jesus did? Talked about miracles here a few minutes ago. We want to see God's, we want to see lives change. So you want to do things that Jesus did. Well, the only way you can do the things that Jesus did if you learn to be like Jesus in order to embrace the life that he lived. And the only way we are ever going to become like Jesus is learning to be with Jesus. And, and so there's a fundamental need that we all have to learn to be present to God so we can then learn to be present to each other and with each other and with the people of Milton and with the people wherever you live and the people you work with and the people you go to school with. Um, they, they, they need to see that you're nice. They need to see that you're cool. They need to see that you're kind. All those things matter, but what they really need is Jesus, and they need to see Jesus in us and through us. And, um, you know, it says in First John 2, 6, that if anybody claims to walk with God, um, I see a snowplow and I get a nightmare feeling inside of me right now. So <laughs> I followed one for way too long today. But um, anybody who claims to walk with God needs to live the same life that Jesus lived. First John 2, 6. Great mission statement verse for you if you're looking for one. And that. So from Mark 1, we're going to take a look at how Jesus lived. And we're going to see some really unique things about him. And, um, and hopefully this will make a little bit of sense to you. And that your mission statement talks about spiritual formation, being formed in Christ to become like Christ, to do the things that Christ did. And then Dallas Willard defines spiritual formation this way, and I love this definition. He says, spiritual formation is the shaping of the inner person in such a way that the words and the deeds of Christ naturally flow from us. It's the inner transformation of the self that makes it easy and natural to do the things that Jesus did. I'd never really heard about Riesel until I got here this morning, and, and I want to know more about it because I just love the title, if nothing else, and I love what its purpose is, is to try to provide hope and love and grace to kids, and, and I, I think that's something that's worthy of all of our support in any way that we can extend it in that, but there's something about taking care of the soul and helping people. We live in a world that's a little bit soul unfriendly, and it's, it, there's a lot of attack and negativity that's out there. And that, oh, that we would find it natural and possible to do the things that Jesus did. We need to learn to live better. If we keep doing the same things, even if we keep doing the same things better, um, we're going to go careening towards spiritual oblivion, um, which so much of the church appears to be headed towards. And that without its passion for Christ, uh, to live as he lived. And uh, we're going to find ourselves experiencing the futility of an unanchored, uncentered, divided life. And that we're going to die of boredom and indifference if we don't learn to live like Jesus lived. So let's take a look at how Jesus lived. And I, I love the text. I didn't bring glasses, so I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it because, I don't know, something, Bibles are getting like more difficult to read <laughs> all along the way. And uh, the... Um, yeah, this font size, like, seriously, who picks fonts for scripture? Like, it's, it's a person with a mean, broken spirit um, and that. But it talks here about Jesus. Now, let me, the context is um, they've left the synagogue, and, and they're out just serving people. And, um, and then they came across Simon's mother-in-law, and she wasn't well, and, and, and they went to her, and, um, and Jesus healed her. And, and she popped up and do the things that mother-in-laws all love to do. And it says in, I don't know what verse it is because the number is too small, but it's in the 30s, early, maybe 33. It says that the whole town 
gathered at the door because Jesus was present. We're hearing this young girl um, with this church uh, to visit it and uh, trying to learn a little bit what they're doing and how they're doing it. And it was, and it was a really huge church. Uh, I think it sat 5,000 people. And I went there really early because I wanted to see what was going on and sat near the front. And, um, and all of a sudden I noticed like all these young adults that were moving and sitting on the platform. And I thought it's like kind of a cool choir or is it like some drama thing that's going to happen? I, so I, we had time and I just started to talk to this one young woman. And, uh, and I said, so how come you guys are all sitting up here? And she said, well, um, she said, church will be full, and we're just making room for others. So we can sit in the ground here. It doesn't, you know, we kind of like it. And, and I thought, wow, imagine being in a place where, you know, everyone shows up 40 minutes early so they can sit on the floor to make room and space for others. And I said, tell me about your church. And anyway, she just glowed as she talked about her church. And, and she told me this story. I, I still remember it vividly. She said, um, uh, she said, I went to my boss a little while ago, and I said, you got to come to my church. And he invited her to come to his church, him to come to her church. And, and she, uh, and he goes, yeah, yeah, no, sorry, got plans. It's really not going to work. I'm not going to be able to do that. And, and so she goes, well, okay, well, next week. And he goes, yeah, it's not going to work either. And she just kept persisting. You've got to come to my church. And every time he said he couldn't, um, she, would, uh, she would just blow off his argument and say, yeah, but you've you got to come to my church. And, and he, finally, he just got really honest with her. And he said, like, church isn't my thing. Like, I, I don't want to go. Like, sorry, I, I hate to be rude. I, you, you seem so excited and passionate about it. It's great, but it's just not my thing. And she goes, yeah, I know, I know. But you've got to come to my church. And she just kept, and she just relentlessly, for weeks and weeks and weeks, kept telling him that he needed to come to her church. And one day, just to silence her, he agreed to come. And then he came back the next week. And he came back the next week. And he came back the next week. And he kept coming back. And he met Jesus. And his life changed. And to have that kind of enthusiasm and that kind of passion and that kind of drive, um, is, is, that's the church that Jesus gave his life to build. And it's not about coming to a building, as cool as it may or may not be. It's about coming to a place where we find grace and where we find hope and where we find love and we find acceptance and that. Um, the whole town's gathered at the door. <laughs> and so what does Jesus do the next morning? He gets up early, very early in the morning, it says. And he went off into the mountains, the wilderness, and he prayed. And the first thing that we need to learn from Jesus if we want to do the things he did by becoming like him, by spending time with him, is we realize that Jesus loved the quiet place. Jesus was very familiar with the quiet place. In the midst of all the demands, whole town at the door, and in the midst of all the opportunities, whole town at the door, in the midst of all the expectations, obligations, whole town at the door. And Jesus gets up early to find time and place and space to be alone with his father. And, and church, I'm convinced that the foundational ingredient to ever finding peace and stability, both in our personal lives, but also in our public lives, is by learning to spend time with the Father. Is there a quiet place? Is there a practice? And it might be a space and place physically, but is there a practice where we learn to be still 
and quiet and alone with God and allow him to speak into our stories where we actually expect him to speak into our stories, where we invite him to speak into our stories, where we long for him to speak into our stories. I remember hearing a guy years ago, he said, every time I miss my quiet time, I used to feel guilty. And he said, now when I miss my quiet time, I feel cheated. Oh, I have that longing for the quiet place because it's so important and meaningful and transformative in our lives. Jesus demonstrated over and over and over again uh, that the strength and direction in life is the fruit of learning to be alone with the Father. King David, you know how it says all the time, David, you know, the Lord was with David and he became powerful in battle. And church, the simple reality, the pattern that shows up throughout Scripture is it's the place of intimacy that propels us to the place of influence. And if you want your life to matter, if you want your life to be consequential, if you want your life to make a difference in the lives of other people, it'll happen when you learn to be still and quiet and alone with God. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, a former Soviet dissident, a philosopher, writer, theologian, I don't know what he was, a bit of everything. And he was asked, what's the, what's the primary problem with humanity today? It's a massive paraphrase. And essentially he said, well, the biggest problem for mankind today is that mankind, people, men, women, have lost the ability to be alone with God. We've lost the ability to be quiet. We've lost the ability to listen and to invite God to speak. I used to walk into my sanctuary um, church where I served and, and uh, on Saturday nights and I would just pray because <laughs> I knew that whatever I had together wasn't going to be enough. Um, and I, I, I would walk in there and the sanctuary wasn't like this. It didn't have windows. It was sort of that, you know that style of sanctuary that Alliance churches were famous? It's sort of like early American warehouse style church, you know, like a big box. You know, no glass, no, no stained glass, no no outside light moving in, no ability for people to look in and go, what actually happens inside of there? I wonder, you know, if people, maybe not this morning because of the snow, but if they were to walk, you know, what would they think if they would walk and look in and see us? You know, what would their perspective be And that? But um, I used to walk into the sanctuary and I, I couldn't really see, but just in a matter of time, my eyes would adjust to the darkness and I'd usually leave a door open with some light coming through, and eventually I could make my way around the sanctuary and worship and pray and do whatever I do. And that, and you know, we live in a dark world in so many ways, and sometimes we feel overwhelmed and overcome by it all. But when we learn, learn to walk with the Father, when we learn to embrace the quiet place like Jesus did, when we learn to be still before God, we know that he is God. And, and in time, our eyes begin to adjust, and we begin to be able to see just a little more clearly uh, the things that God has for us. You know, there's an old chorus that people with hair my color will remember singing when we were young, and it was called, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And I, I'd like to rewrite it, because I think when we turn our eyes upon Jesus, <clears throat> when we look full in his wonderful face, I think the things of earth become remarkably clear in the light of his glory and grace. And I think we, there's a clarity that comes, which I'm going to talk about in a moment, that allows us to see what God is up to and 
where God longs to work in us so that he can work through us because intimacy with God leads to influence in our lives. Excuse me. Thanks for whoever brought me that. Um, we live in a world that says go, go, go. Do, do, do. Accomplish, accomplish, accomplish. Achieve, achieve, achieve. Accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. And it's about killing us this pace of life because really, really significant things rarely happen in a hurry. You don't build a great marriage in a hurry. You don't raise great kids in a hurry. You don't build a great church in a hurry. And you don't create and discover, cultivate an authentic soul in a hurry. Now, years ago, I was reading a book. <clears throat> can't remember the title of it but a guy named Frederick Beekner, And Frederick was on the beginning of a spiritual journey. And he was just trying to figure out God. He had no idea how to be alone with God. He had no idea how to be still and quiet and silent before God. So anyways, he, um, there was a monastery that he used to go to. And there was a priest at this monastery that he really liked. He just really connected with him. He just really kind of got the way this guy talked. And, and he was on a weekend. He lived in New York. It was busy. It was bold. And he was getting crushed by all the expectations of life. And he decided, I'm going to go to the monastery for the weekend. So he made a reservation. Drives up there, gets there Friday night. And, uh, and they said, is there a priest that you'd like to meet with while you're here? And he said, oh, yes, Father so-and-so. And I go, oh, we're sorry. Uh, Father so-and-so was on a week-long silent retreat where he's not speaking to anyone other than God. Um, so how about Father Mulberry or whatever his name was? And he didn't know who that was, but he said, he was very disappointed, but he said, okay. So he meets with this priest the next day. And he was kind of a mumbling, stumbling, fumbling kind of guy. And Frederick did not connect with him one iota, just nothing there. And, and he had to meet with him like four times through the weekend. It was awful every time. It seemed to get worse, and his attitude got worse. And So finally, it's Sunday afternoon. He can hardly wait to leave. And uh, he has to meet with the priest one last time. And then the priest goes to him, very uninspired, and he goes, Frederick, are there any sins that you'd like to confess before you leave? <laughs> Beekner's going, yeah, I'm going to tell you my struggles. You know, not a chance. And, and he, I don't know, he came up with something that he did as a teenager, you know, and priest mumbled some statement of forgiveness over him. And then he looks at him and he goes, would you like me to give you a blessing as you leave? And he's thinking, no, I actually just want to leave. But if this is the pathway to leaving, then go ahead. He didn't say that, but that's what he was thinking. Um, and the priest lays his hand on top of Frederick Beekner's head. And he goes, my child, you have such a long ways to go. <laughs> and then he turns and walks out. <laughs> and Frederick Beekner said, those were the words that changed the trajectory of his life. And I feel like I hear the whisper of the Spirit saying, Ian, you have such a long ways to go. Not your pastor, me. <laughs> There's such a journey that's still ahead of you. And I only learn how to journey when I learn to be quiet and still and alone with the Father. That's what Jesus modeled for us. Let me, let me skip some stuff here. Let me, let me tell you why this is important, and then I'll get to the next two things quickly. And that... Um, we serve a God who longs to be present. You know, sometimes we pray, Lord, would you be with us? It's really probably not the best prayer to pray because he is with us. The prayer is, Lord, would we be aware 
of your presence with us. And Henry Nouwen wrote these words, when we fail to be aware of the presence of God in our lives, he said, without solitude of heart, without intimacy of friendship, without marriage and community life, um, or, or our marriage and community life can never become creative. He said, without solitude of heart, our relationship with others easily becomes needy and greedy, sticky and clinging, dependent and sentimental, exploitive and parasitic. Because without solitude of heart, we cannot experience <clears throat> others as different from ourselves, but only as people who can be used for the fulfillment of our often hidden, selfish agendas. Without being present with God, we can never become fully present with each other. Without learning to be present to a God who meets our deepest needs, we, we can't be fully present with one another. Let me say it in a different way, that it's only as we allow God to meet the deepest needs of our soul that we enter into relationships with the ability not to take, not to demand, not to expect, but with the ability to give and to honor and to serve and to love. For when our deepest needs are met in our walk with God, then we are free to enter into the primary relationships of our lives with something to give instead of looking just to take. It happens when we become familiar with the quiet place where our heart is open to God, where our Bible is open to give us wisdom for life, where our soul is ready to respond to the promptings of the Spirit and that. For Jesus, it was very early in the morning. The time is not the issue, but it's creating space and place to be present to God so we can learn to be present to each other, which is really the second thing that happens here if we keep going through the text. So Jesus is alone. He's in the wilderness. He's talking to the Father. He's listening. He's hearing. He's pouring out his heart. And he's navigating life. And all of a sudden, the disciples show up. Simon and his companions, verse 30-something. And they, they went to look for him, which, I'm not a Greek expert, but I believe in the original Greek language, they hunted him down. <laughs> and then they got there, and they said... Uh, to him something to the effect of everybody's looking for you which again in the original Greek I think really meant Jesus you are missing a fantastic opportunity to draw attention to ourselves I mean draw attention to the kingdom and your ministry because everybody's looking and nothing validates a ministry like numbers you know the more people the more impressive we must be I mean, you walk into a doctor's office and you get there and you're told that your appointment's going to be 20-30 minutes late you're okay with that the waiting room's full, you know, and, and, and you look at it and you're going, he's busy, must be good. What if you walked into your doctor's office and he's sitting in the waiting room by himself, he's got the Reader's Digest, you know, off the table, and he's telling jokes, and, and, he, and he looks surprised when a patient comes. And he goes, oh, you know, we were walking the streets of Denpasar looking for a place to have supper, a couple, I don't know, who knows, sometime in the last few days when I was there, and we chose the restaurant on the basis of which one had the most people in it. And we came to one that looked really great, except nobody was having supper, and it was 6.30 at night. And I thought, I'm not sure I want to be the one that walks in that place, because you know, that place down the road, it was like full. Let's go there. Because <laughs> we live in this world that you know, if there's lots of people, then it must mean it's good. And, and there's certainly truth to that. Without a doubt, there is truth to that. But the reality is, is that <laughs> the disciples are saying, Jesus, what are you doing here wasting time? Because stuff's happening down below. Let's get back in the, the battle and in the action. 
And what does Jesus say? He says, actually, we're not going to go back to Capernaum, which is where they were. He says, we're going to, there's other places to go. And what Jesus modeled for us not only was time alone with the Father, but Jesus modeled that there's only one agenda that's worth pursuing in life, and it's God's agenda for our lives. There is clarity in what he was doing. He was deeply aware of what the Father wanted him to do with his life. We prayed the prayer today. I love the version that we prayed. We call it the Lord's Prayer. I'm on a mission in life. Join with me, Southside. Uh, we will lose, but I'm on a mission in life to rename the Lord's Prayer because I don't think it's the Lord's Prayer. It's a prayer, as John said today, that Jesus taught us to pray. It's not his prayer. Jesus never prayed the Lord's Prayer. Do you think Jesus ever had to say, well, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us? Jesus never sinned. It wasn't his prayer. It was a disciple's prayer. It's the prayer that he taught his followers to pray. The Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus prayed, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Into your hands I commit my spirit. My food is to do the will of the Father who sent me. Jesus' prayer was constantly a prayer of surrender to the will of the Father. And all that Jesus wanted, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else in his life, was to do what the Father wanted him to do. Don't you love that sound? (laughs) Sound of activity. Jesus taught us to do what the Father wants, to embrace the Father's agenda for our lives. And it's a beautiful agenda. I don't know how many of you here are parents, but imagine, imagine you're a parent of a teenager, and imagine your son or daughter walks into your bedroom at midnight, because somehow they want to talk at midnight. They have no idea how good we are at 9 o'clock and how not good we are at midnight, but they come at midnight, and we have to somehow be available and present to them. And imagine your child walks into your room, and that same child goes, Mom, Dad, I just want you to know how much I love you. I just want you don't know how incredibly thankful I am for you in my life. You're so good and you're so kind most of the time. (laughs) And I just love you so much and I just want to live my life in such a way that'll make you proud. And I want to live my life in such a way that'll bring you joy and honor because you're just amazing. Now we dream of hearing those things. Once in a while we get a version of it. But imagine your child walks into your room and says something like that to you. Do you kick them out and go, yeah, good, go to bed? And then do you spend the next hour scheming on how to make that child's life miserable? Like, how can I? They're going to do whatever we say. Anything we ask them to do, they're going to do. So how can we make their life miserable? What can we do to mess them up? Like, no parent does that. You think, my child loves me. They, they know I exist. They like me even. And you want to think, how can I bless my children? How much more? We who know how to give good gifts to our children, will the Father give give us the greatest gifts when we live that life of surrender, when we say, not my will, but yours be done, when we embrace God's agenda for our lives. Jesus' life was marked by profound clarity because he learned to be alone with the Father and he knew what the Father wanted. So when everything and all the people around Jesus were saying, let's go back here, Jesus said, actually, we're going to go over here because he knew what God wanted him to do with his life. And we live in a world where 
God often has unique things and even unexpected things. I have no idea. Well, I have a great idea. But humanly speaking, no idea how I ever became the district superintendent of the Central Canadian District of the Christian Missionary Alliance in Canada. How's that for a title? All I know is one day I was in a conversation with some people about an election that happened here a year and a half ago that didn't happen. And all I could think about were the two guys that put their hand up and said, I'll serve, and neither got enough votes to get elected. And I just felt deep sadness for both of them. Because when you put your hand up and say, I'll serve, and then they say, actually, we don't want you, there's a little bit of pain associated with that for a day or two or three, probably, maybe longer. And I just remember thinking for these two guys, one that I knew, one I didn't, you know, I felt kind of bad for them. And then had this incredible prompting that David Hearn was going to ask me to be the district superintendent for the next two years. And I just sort of laughed at the thought. I go, but it didn't go away. And it lingered and it lingered and it lingered. And one day I moved to Ontario, literally six weeks later. I stood up in my church the last Sunday of July of 2021 and, and I said, next Sunday will mark the 20th anniversary, the first time I stood here as your lead pastor. And, and people clapped. I, I wasn't expecting that. That threw me off my plan. And then I said, two weeks after that will mark the last time that I'll stand here as your lead pastor. And I couldn't believe I said it out loud. But God had a different plan and a purpose. And he said, I, I want you to go somewhere different. And I had no idea what it was going to look like. I had no idea what it would mean. I had no idea if I could do this job. I had no idea what it might hold. But I had an incredible sense that God said, do this. And the last 18 months have been just delight. Not, not always. There's been challenge. There's been bumps. There's struggles. There's tough conversations unfolding. But there's been an incredible sense, and I'm just doing what God wants me to do. Because I want his will in my life. Nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. And my story is your story. Maybe not as dramatic as moving across the country. But God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And to stray from that plan and purpose is to invite a measure of spiritual frustration into our souls. We can't be everything to everyone. We've got to learn to be something to someone. And the key to life is figure out what the something is and who the someone is. Run from hidden agenda, from private agenda. Embrace God's plan and discover God's peace and, and, and be captivated by God's passion and purpose for your life. And life becomes this amazing adventure. Where did Jesus find the clarity that he longed for? It was through being alone with the Father. So there's a progression that happens. We learn to be still and alone and present to God. And then we learn to discover God's plan and his purpose for our lives in deeper ways. And then it leads us into the heart of what I wanted to say to you today. That really is what this church is all about. Is that Jesus was very, very connected to the true, authentic human condition of those around him. And he touched the human life. In verses 40 to 42... We see Jesus taking compassion and kindness into caring for people to a whole brand new level in his encounter with a man who was simply known as the leprous man. Imagine that, you know. If you were to be described, when they described him, all that they said was, guy's got leprosy. That's how he was known. Perhaps you know the story. It's an incredible encounter between humanity and divinity. 
there's one who's called untouchable. No doubt well acquainted with his condition, eager to be cleansed, humble enough to ask Jesus to touch him. But the one who he asked to touch him was the divine one who lived a life marked by compassion, a life so filled with love that he was willing to lay his hand upon the untouchable, the leprous. It says that Jesus came and he laid hands on him and he healed him. When we stop to consider the cultural taboo of contact with the leprous, the horror of that disease, the full impact of that one statement that Jesus reached out and touched him is almost staggering to me. In the Bible, the leper was the symbol of the ultimate outcast. Infected by a disease they did not seek, rejected by those that they loved and lived with, avoided by people in the community, condemned to a life of isolation and loneliness, facing a future without a hope of anything ever getting better. Imagine the physical horror Imagine the emotional isolation. Imagine the social scars. Imagine the spiritual loneliness. And then if you could, imagine feeling the touch of another. The touch of Jesus. For the first time in who knows how long of time, rather than feeling rejection and isolation, this man felt the hands of Jesus upon him. Did Jesus have to touch him to heal him? We know not. Jesus could have sent him to the priest as he did in other times. Could have said, go bathe in that pool as he did other times. He could have sent them somewhere and suddenly they're just being healed on the way there. He could have just spoken the words into existence and they would have been healed. But in this situation, in this time, Jesus responded with profound compassion. There was this awareness of the human condition that we see in Jesus that staggers me when I think it through a little bit more deeply. And I would suggest that that kind of awareness needs to become the defining reality of Southside Church. It needs to become the defining reality of our families. It needs to become the defining reality of our lives. That when people encounter us, they would encounter the kindness of Jesus. Anybody can be, I was thinking of a bad word, anybody can be a jerk, an idiot, think of bad words here. It's easy to be that. What about to be a kind human being? What about to be gracious, compassionate, and gentle? We talk about being the hands and the feet of Jesus. It's kind of the purpose of coldest night of the year, I think. What about extending the heart of Jesus to those that God brings across our paths? I've never met anybody with leprosy, but I've met people that feel like they live with a form of spiritual leprosy. They feel disconnected from family and friends. 
and faith. There is little community in their lives. There's little joy in their lives. There's almost no hope in their lives. And those are the people that Jesus came to love and to serve and to reach and to give his life for. Is there evidence of compassion and kindness in our lives? Did our wives, did our husbands, did our children, did our parents, did our neighbors, did our communities experience the compassion of Jesus from us this morning? How many of us need to already ask for forgiveness for the lack of compassion? And that was just on the way to church today. We need to understand that we were not designed to be driven. We were designed to take time to realize the needs of others around us. Jesus was moved to touch the untouchable, to cure the uncurable, to reach the unreachable, to love the unloved. Who in our lives needs us to be Jesus to them? Somebody once said that we're never more like Jesus than when we are loving and serving others. Is there a kindness that defines us as a people of God? Because sometimes the people of God are not all that kind. It's the prayer of the little girl that said, Lord, make the bad people good and make the good people nice. Because good people aren't always nice. God's people are not always kind. And untold damage is done to the cause of the kingdom when we fail to be kind followers of Jesus. God would never give us so much to do that we wouldn't have time to extend compassion to those who need his love in their lives. Jesus touched others because it's just what he does. He believed that demons and diseases had no right to destroy destinies. Do we? Are we authentically kind and compassionate? In order to do the things that Jesus did, live the compassionate life, we need to become like Jesus, live the focused life. And that happens when we learn to be with Jesus, pursuing the quiet place. Oh, that we would abide in Jesus, that we would practice his presence in community here at Southside and into Melton. The only way we can truly be present to others is to be present to God. At this missions conference I was at, they were doing a, a little crowd ice-breaking kind of game that you used to do at youth ministry, and, and they were saying you had like 20 seconds with a person, and then you rotated to the next person. It was just kind of a two circles going in different directions, and they'd ask questions, and one of the questions was, which superpower would you like to have if you could have one for a day? And I foolishly said to some kid, trying to be cooler than I am, and I said, I'd like to be invisible. Then I could really hear what people say about me, and I could really hear what you know, goes on, and it's probably my whole focus on invisibility. It's what a stupid superpower to choose. But that's what I said. And I, once I said it, I thought, well, that was dumb. I came up with a new one for the next person. Because here's the deal. There are all kinds of people who walk the streets of Milton. There's all kinds of people that are sitting in this worship space. There's all kinds of people that are in the home that you live in who actually feel invisible. They feel like nobody really sees or notices or even cares. 
Remember Moses out in the wilderness? Been the prince of Egypt? Learned all about power and authority and leading men, and next thing you know, he's living in the wilderness taking care of dumb sheep. No doubt thinking, how did I get here? And then God stepped into his story. Exodus 3, 7 is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. And he says, Moses, I've seen the misery. I've heard the prayer. I know what's going on. And I have a plan. And church, the message of this book from Genesis to Revelation is that God sees, and God knows, and God hears, and God cares. And when we discover that to be true, then we learn to extend that to others. I've told this story a handful of times. Ian, Andrew, I think you've heard me share it, um, maybe others. It's a story of my granddaughter. Um, best deal in the world is being a grandparent. This was mentioned earlier. I got a, she's five now. She's four. Uh, she's heading off to preschool. Uh, and my, my granddaughter, her name is Charlotte. Uh, Charlotte will take over the world one day. She will become the Prime Minister of Canada, perhaps the Secretary General of the United Nations. I'm not sure. She'll do something magnificent. Um, she's kind of large and in charge, but she's smart and she's kind. So it's uh, first day of preschool. They're lined up. Uh, COVID, you couldn't walk in with your parents the six feet apart and got met at the door by a teacher that would take the children. Crazy world we lived in there for a while. Um, and Charlotte was impatient because she wanted to get in so she could take over the class. And uh, she's just fidgety with my son. And, uh, and then all of a sudden she gets quiet. And in the quietness, they heard a little girl, two girls behind them, two kids behind, and this girl was whimpering and was doing what every mother here has lived, where the child is clinging to your leg and, and there's not a chance in the world they're ever going to let go. And Charlotte thinks for a minute. She says to my son, she goes, Daddy, I think that girl is afraid to walk into preschool alone today. My son goes, yeah, she might be. I wonder what we could do. And then she goes, I got an idea. And she lets go of my son's hand, and she walks back up to this little girl. And she goes, hi. The little girl stops crying, looks at her, looks at her mother. And she goes, my name is Charlotte. And no response. So then not to be deterred. She goes, what's your name? This little girl looks up at her mother and then she looks and she goes very quietly, my name is Harper. And she goes, hi, Harper. And then she said this, Harper, would you like to walk into school with me this morning? Harper looks at her mom, lets go of the death grip on the leg. And she goes, okay. And then Charlotte reaches out her hand. And she takes Harper's hand, and the two of them walk into preschool together. And friends, I say to us, we need to be, learn to be Charlotte, to see the needs of others, to listen, to pay attention. And then we need to respond with kindness and with compassion and sometimes with touch. But I'd also say this to us today. It's good to be Charlotte. But it's okay to be Harper, too. Because there's sometimes when life's just a little bit overwhelming and we're feeling a little bit under-resourced, perhaps a lot. And it's okay to say, I need a Charlotte in my life right now. 
And that's the beauty of the church, is we rotate between being Charlotte and Harper, and sometimes we're both at the same time. We don't have it all figured out. Why was Jesus alone with the Father after a busy day of serving others? Because he knew he needed to be strengthened. He knew he needed to be directed. And he knew that he needed a divine source for the kind of compassion that was his mission to extend to others. So if you're Harper here today, let somebody take you by the hand. And if you're feeling a little bit like Charlotte today, give thanks to God because soon you'll be Harper. That's just the reality of life. But let us take the hands of others here in church, at home, into our community, our schools, wherever we go. And let's walk in with a resolve to be fully present with the people God brings across our paths. And the only way we learn to be fully present with the people that God brings to us is to be fully present with the God who leads us to people. Because we're not smart enough, we're not strong enough, we're not spiritual enough, we're not anything enough to make a difference in this world. But when we learn to hear God's voice, when we learn to follow God's plan, when we learn to walk his path, really great things happen in us and through us. I would say, in closing, that the best thing that you could do for the people that you live with, the people that you study with, the people that you play with, the people that you work with, the people that you do life with, the greatest gift that you could give is the ability to say, it is well with my soul. I mentioned my dad turned 90. The reason I said it's a miracle, lots of people live to be 90, but for my dad, when he turned 65, was the only member of a family of six that reached the age of 65. Not the first, the only. And the fact that 25 years later, he's still somehow living is no small miracle. I remember taking him to see a doctor, lung specialist, because my dad's got the worst lungs on the planet. And doctor's looking at him, and he goes, Sandy, your lungs are really terrible. My dad goes, yeah, what's with that? I... I only smoked for 65 years. I, I don't see what the problem is here. It's pretty funny. A couple of years ago, my dad was in church. And it uh, didn't come a lot, but my parents would go to church. My mother would go to church so she could stand in the middle of the foyer and tell everybody that she was my mother. And my dad would go to church, come in late, leave early. He'd sit in the corner. You know, he was kind of a raging introvert. You know, he was practicing social distancing for decades before it became required in our world, but incredibly kind and smart man. Anyways, the, uh, okay, I'll be done in a minute. Um, <laughs> coffee machine screaming. Um, Dad came to church, and he was just sitting in the side. There was another chair beside him, and this guy named Dave came to church. And Dave was a young father who was battling cancer and losing. Uh, the cancer taken 100 pounds off his six-foot-four frame. Hadn't been in church in months. Uh, he was very weak. And Dave walked into church that day had a G-tube through his nose to give him nutrition. He looked awful. He could barely walk. And I really liked Dave. We became very close friends. And I, I went up and I said, it's so good to see you. And he looked at me and he goes, I woke up today. And I just really needed to worship Jesus today with people. And I said, I'm really glad you're here. Helped him get inside. Came out after church. I was talking to him. The boy's wife went to pick up their two kids from the preschool. 
And I said, Dave, why don't you come sit over here while you wait for Doris and the kids? So I took him over and I sat him down beside my father. And I said, Dad, this is my friend Dave. Dave, this is my dad, Sandy. And I walked away and I thought, how's this going to go? And I just kept glancing over. And they were just having the most animated conversation, the two of them. And then Darcy came up to me. She said, who's Dave talking to? And I go, it's my dad. My dad doesn't talk to anybody. You know, and they had this incredible conversation going on. So after a while, we thought it's time to go. And we went and um, they both struggled to their feet because of their frailties. And my dad reached out his hand and he took Dave's hand. And he said, David, it is very obvious to me that you are in a profoundly difficult physical battle. Dave smiled and said, yeah. And he said, but there is a wellness of soul that exudes from your life. And it has been my great privilege to meet you this morning. And I thought, that's the most profound thing I've ever heard my father say. Is there wellness of soul within us that comes from being alone with the Father so that we can be fully present with the people he brings across our paths? This is the life that he calls each of us to. This is the life that he calls Southside at Maine to. This is the will of God for his people to learn to be alone with God, to find God's purpose for your life, and to extend compassion as you embrace that purpose from a place of intimacy. It's a beautiful life. It's the life we're all called to. Let me pray for you. Does wellness of soul exude from your life today? It's God's desire and his plan and his purpose. Settle for nothing less, nothing else, nothing different. Pursue wellness of soul with all the diligence that you can find because it's a pathway to a remarkable life. So, Father, meet your people today. Create within us a desire for the quiet place. Help us to make a plan. Help us to find place and space. Help us to pour out our hearts to you. And then, Father, we'll discover that perfect purpose that you have for us. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And all along the journey, may we touch those you bring across our paths with your love and your joy and your hope. Bless this church. Bless each family represented here. Lord, bless each life with a sense of intimacy and clarity and compassion. It's the life that Jesus lived, and it's the life that we need and deep down long for. So meet us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.